How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. <clears throat> and today we're going to be picking up where we left off in our study of the Book of Romans. And we're going to be kind of backing up a little bit to take a look at something else here. Um, as uh, Previously, what we were talking about is the behaviors of the saints and our, our treatment of one another, helping one another. And we see in the previous study about uh, helping the weak and who are the weak and, and all of this. So, uh, we that are strong should bear the infirmities of the weak. What does that mean? And we went through uh, down through chapter 15. And we got down about verse 15, I think it was, uh, to finish the context of the study that we're looking at. So. But I want to back up to verse 9 because we see the next topic I want to mention in chapter 15 begins in verse 9. So we're going to back up a little bit. I'm sure you don't mind. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and uh, grab a tea, grab a coffee. And uh, yeah, so I hope uh, you're ready for another great study. All right, so I was mad scrabbling. They're trying to get the last bit together for this morning's study right up to just a couple minutes ago. And uh, so I've been just running like crazy this morning, trying to get ready, trying to get everything together. Um, I've been searching. I've been searching for a long time, for a few years, uh, trying to find this one passage in the Bible. Have you ever had that happen where you you read it? You know you read it. You saw it, you read it, and then for some reason, you can't for the life of you find that passage again. Uh, now for some reason, Google searches wouldn't do it for me, and uh, you don't remember. You start to question whether or not you read it correctly, or maybe you're remembering it uh, incorrectly, or something. But uh, anyways, it's one of those things. Uh, I couldn't for the life of me remember where it was in the Bible. I read it. Uh, and that's one thing I'm going to be bringing up. And I found it. I found it this morning, just in time for this study, just, uh, just what I needed. So praise the Lord for that. So, yeah. Okay, so here we are. Romans chapter 15. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, <clears throat> issues, insights uh, regarding the study at hand, please, by all means, go ahead and ask away. Uh I, I I used the concordances, uh, uh, Bruce. I used the concordances. I I tried using a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Everything, uh, Google searches, all kinds. I I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, anyways, but I came across it this morning. So mystery solved, and I'm not losing that passage again. <laughs> okay. So here we are. So please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick up at verse 9. Now, we know that there's only one way, one truth, one life. We who are saved, who are the saved of God, that we who are born again saved by our Lord God, Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith, by belief alone, we who trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, our Lord Jesus Christ, we know 
that anyone who calls upon the Lord can be saved. And it doesn't matter who or what you are. Doesn't matter what language, doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what nationality, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter about anything. Uh, your background doesn't even matter your sins all sins shall be forgiven them to the sons of men now when you come to the lord and you and you call upon our lord jesus christ to save you from your sins believing in what he's done on the cross you are born again saved we know that both jew and gentile can be saved that's the point i want to make this morning that it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. So we're going to be uh, actually bouncing back and forth on a lot of passages this morning. So in Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Right? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, talking about our adoption into the family of Abraham by the blood of Jesus Christ. So, and we go back to Acts chapter 15, which we will be, because the point we see in Romans chapter 15, verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. The Gentiles get saved. The non-Jews. Now, when you go through the Gospels, <clears throat> you'll see many a time of Samaritans, Romans, Greeks, uh, coming down and believing in Jesus. Uh, that uh, uh, many miracles and many things that Jesus did it drew attention. It, his notoriety went to all the world. And people are being drawn to him. We see Roman centurions believing on him. We see Pharisees believing on him. Some Pharisees. We see uh, Greeks and we, we see Samaritans believing on him. Non-Jews believing on him. Now, we can bring that up. But there are certain religions, certain cults, certain people who are of a certain persuasion who don't believe in the New Testament and they don't believe that non-Jews can be saved. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what I want to do is, uh, is pay attention to some passages in the Old Testament. And take a look at what the Bible says about this. So, <clears throat> and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. That is Psalms 18 verse 49 psalms 18 verse 49 mentions how the gentiles will be drawn unto god and will praise his name all right then we go over to verse 10 romans 15 10 and again he saith rejoice ye gentiles with his people another prophecy this is Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Now, in speaking of Old Testament terms, his people, the Lord's people, the people of the Lord is Israel, the Jews, right? The Jews. Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Now, 
for this, we also want to go back into John chapter 4 and verse 22. Ye worship, ye know not what. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. What does that mean? Now, there are many people who take this verse, uh, John 4, 22, to say, See, see, only Jews can be saved. Salvation is of the Jews. No, that's not what that's implying. <clears throat> what this is saying is that the God of Israel, that of the Jews, the religion of the Jews, the God of the Jews is the only God that saves. This is the only belief system in the entire world because at this time, John chapter 4, this is still Old Testament dispensation, that, that uh, only the God, only the belief of the Jews, of the God of Israel can save. That's what that means. That you look to the Jews to see their God and only salvation is found in them of their God. That's what that means. For salvation is of the Jews. So then we see, what about the Gentiles? Or Romans 15, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Hosea 2 verse 23. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again... Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall, uh, shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentile, Gentiles trust. Isaiah 11.10 So we see in the Old Testament, there's mention of Gentiles believing. Where are some examples of this? Where are some examples? Well, for the first example, we want to go over to Genesis chapter 11 about Abraham. Before he was called Abraham, he was known as Abram. And Abram of the Ur of the Chaldees. He was a Chaldean. He was a Gentile. So the first thing you want to throw at people who don't believe that Gentiles can be saved is you want to throw at them, well, Abraham was a Gentile, technically. He was a Chaldean of the Ur of the Chaldees. So there's the first one. And then we want to go over to Second Chronicles. This is the passage that I was looking for this morning. Now, my bad, because I'm a bit dyslexic. So I'm battling myself in trying to remember some things correctly. Now, he's known as Pharaoh Necho. Pharaoh Necho. Um, and I remembered it as Pharaoh Nebo for some reason. So that's what threw me off. I don't know. My brain is weird. Okay, so <laughs> I want to take a look at Pharaoh Necho in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. 2 Chronicles chapter 35 and uh, verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against uh, Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I am not come against thee this day. This is Pharaoh Necho talking. I have not come against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God, capital G, for God commanded me to make haste 
Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Pharaoh Necho of Egypt was a believer in Jehovah God. One more time. Pharaoh Necho of Egypt was a believer in Jehovah God. All right. So with that one, I'm leaving a bookmark there. So don't forget that. I, <laughs> I I love it. I absolutely love it when I when I find these things. And here's the next one. Let's go to Daniel chapter four. Daniel chapter four, and I want to start at verse one. Now Daniel chapter four, verse one. Listen to the specific words. Who is talking? Daniel chapter four. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar. And you continue to read Daniel chapter 4, is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. A Gentile emperor of Babylon, conqueror of Israel. <laughs> Gentile emperor Nebuchadnezzar, emperor of Babylon, got saved. <laughs> And wrote his personal testimony in the book of Daniel, chapter 4. So, yeah, there's another one. Now, if we go over <clears throat> to Hosea, chapter 2, verse 23. And I will, I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, I will say unto them, which were not my people, meaning the Gentiles, the non-Jews. I will say to them, which were not my people, the Gentiles, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. The Gentiles will be saved. God calls Gentiles unto salvation. That's Hosea 2.23. Now, the next one uh, I want to go to as our last example here, uh, where we see it actually written in the Bible. Okay. Not to mention of the pharaohs. I'm just thinking uh, or Abraham uh, went with his wife, Sarah, to Egypt and uh, where they made that conspiracy that uh, she actually wasn't his wife, but was his sister. And they went there and the Pharaoh saw Sarah and, and really desired her and uh, took her and uh, wanted to marry her. And then the Lord spoke to him and warned him, don't you dare touch Sarah. And he feared the Lord. He believed the Lord and feared the Lord and gave Sarah back to Abraham. So we see there are others that believe in the Lord. <clears throat> now, the next one here is Jonah. This is the one I mention all the time. All right, 
where Jonah was sent to Nineveh to warn the Assyrians, right? And we see Jonah finally in chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3 finally gets to Nineveh, starts preaching uh, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, and, and preaching to the people to repent of their sins and believe on the Lord. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 3 verse 4, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. What did the people do with this? Verse 5. Uh, uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh, now go to the end of chapter 4, and you see how many there were. There were over 120,000 people. Over 120,000 Gentile Ninevites. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. It says they believe God. The Gentiles of Nineveh, the Assyrians, 120,000, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose, he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither men nor beast herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And the God saw their works and uh, that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. God spared them, had mercy on them, forgave them for their sins because they repented and believed in the Lord. The 120,000 Gentile Ninevites got saved. They repented of their sins and believed in the Lord and got saved by the preaching of Jonah. So there you go. There are some examples in the Old Testament uh, where we see Abraham. We see Pharaoh Necho. We see Nebuchadnezzar and the people of Nineveh. Powerful, powerful examples in the Old Testament where Gentiles also get saved. And that's not just the only ones. There are many others throughout the Old Testament, if you read it, who believed on the Lord as well. So, there you go. That's established. Old Testament and New Testament. Now, in uh, Acts chapter 15, we want to take a look at an example here in Acts chapter 15 regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ coming unto the Gentiles we see in Acts chapter 15 where uh, Paul and Peter are discussing the Gentiles and the Jews and should the Gentiles have to follow the, uh, the ordinances of the Jews. Um, and uh, chapter 15 verse 5, there rose up certain sect of the Pharisees which believed in the Lord Jesus, saying that it is needful to circumcise and command them to keep the law of Moses. So they're trying to figure out what to do about this. Chapter, uh, chapter 15 verse 8, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, speaking the Gentiles, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. 
Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear, but but we but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. So you see, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, salvation was by grace through faith, by belief, and not by works. You'll notice the Ninevites repented and believed the Lord, and the Lord spared them. The Lord forgave them and saved them. You're saved by belief, not by works. You're saved by belief, not by works. In the Old Testament and New Testament, the same, not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. Okay, so um, go back to Romans chapter 15 and verse 12. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. That's Isaiah 11.10. Verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The belief of faith. <clears throat> The belief of faith is what saves. It's not the works of the hands. We've talked about this in depth. All right. We've established how the word of God teaches that salvation by grace, what grace is. The unmerited favor. What faith is. Faith is not works. Faith is believing trust. By belief and what belief is. Now, believing in the Lord, trusting faith, believing in the Lord, we will see that true faith of the heart will bring evidence. Will bring evidence. There will be manifestations, spiritually and physically, of true faith. Now, uh, verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Who is he talking to? Gentiles. Joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We see an established blessing upon the Gentile believers here. That because of their belief. Now the Jews, they have a bit more of a problem than the Gentiles because they also have the additional, um, the cultural backgrounds, the traditions uh, of of the Jewish customs, the law of Moses, and all these other things, and that, uh, and that what the Gentiles, all the Gentiles have, is just the belief alone. Some people struggle with this. Some people they want some physical mysticism to go along with belief, <clears throat> whether it be feelings, traditions, religiosity. The church going, the singing of the hymns, the reading of the Bible, or the doing or the not doing. Uh, that people, many people long for some kind of a physical action, a work, something to go along to give them a peace about their belief. Now you notice what Paul says here, that God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, not working. The peace and joy comes from the belief, not the works. The peace of faith, the, the joy of knowing that I am saved, that you may know that you have eternal life because you believed, 1 John 5, 13. That this belief alone is sufficient. It's all I need. It's all I need. That you may abound in hope to live in. 
to to work in to walk in to always be in the joy and peace of the hope of jesus christ through the power of the holy ghost that the holy ghost establishes the understanding of the belief now with true faith a true confession of faith there will be evidences there will be evidences of conviction conviction of sin conviction of righteousness There'll be conviction about what you're doing, your entertainments and everything else. And then with this as well, a manifestation of the physical action. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the and true belief of the heart, what's in the heart will be seen through the hands as well. If you truly do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be working. You will be uh, witnessing. You will you will be wanting and desiring to be with the brethren. You'll want to go to church. you see the, the desires of the want to. If you love me. That's a want to, a true love of Christ. So you see that? So the true joy and peace comes in the believing, not the religiosity, not the traditions. The people who find their peace and joy in the works of their hands and not necessarily the belief of the heart, those are the people I fear for. Where they have no establishment of faith of the heart. Where it's not enough for them. Those people I fear. I don't necessarily deny that they're saved. It's just, if you have no peace about the about your belief alone, and you only find uh, really your peace and joy in your traditions and your works and your righteous works and all this other stuff, I worry that those individuals are the Matthew 7 uh, people. Many that shall cry, Lord, Lord. Because they believe in a Jesus, but they have no peace inside. They, 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 have, they have no understanding or grasp that belief alone is enough. All joy and peace in believing. Do you have peace? Do you have joy in belief alone? Is your confession of faith upon Jesus Christ enough for you to, 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 to help you to understand and see and show you that you are born again saved? That it's, not, that, that it's not about your deeds as we saw in Romans 4. Justified by faith, not through works. Not of works. Look what he says here. Fill you with all joy and peace and believing through the power of the Holy Ghost. Verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So we see that it's through the belief. Admonishment, being able to uphold, strengthen, edify, helping one another who believe because of the belief of faith. Verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And then talking about how he's called as the as a missionary to go into the lands of the gentiles to go to the gentile people to preach to them jesus christ and we see this also in acts the picking up of acts and established in acts 15. and again we see in galatians 3 20 29 how there's no difference in jew and gentile jew and greek 
are male and female, bond or free. All are one in Christ. That actually is something uh, I, I think about often. I'm watching old shows. Or shows that depict the old world. Um, even going back over 100 years ago. Uh, going back into the 1800s, early 1900s. I uh, go over to England mostly and you see the uh you see the the lords of the land the lords the dukes and all of these people the kings and the queens and you see the, the 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 different classes of people you see the rich and then you see the the middle class and then you see the lower class and it's very very tangible and what gets me when you're watching these shows or you're reading watch these documentaries and you read about these kinds of things and how uh, people in the upper classes would really look down, really look down on people in lower classes. Like if you take a regular blue collar worker of the lower class, and uh, the, the dukes and the lords would look down on them. They, 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 how dare they even speak to me? They would never socialize really with the servants. And, like, and there's such arrogance that disgusts me so much. But we see in the word of God how Jesus Christ is the great equal equalizer. It doesn't matter if you're if you're like quotation marks, God Emperor of Babylon like Nebuchadnezzar. I say that because that's what he actually believed himself to be and everyone else believed him to be. It, we see people like Nebuchadnezzar in, in those positions. It doesn't matter if you're a king. It doesn't matter if you're a lord or a duke or whatever. It doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars in the bank account. In the eyes of God, you are literally equal to everyone else. Money doesn't change your, your status with God. How much property you own. Your success and fame, degrees and diplomas mean utterly nothing. Everybody goes into a box, into a hole in the ground. And everyone is going to stand before God. And none of your successes and fame and fortune and titles and nothing are, are, are going to help you with God. He's not even going to look at that. That doesn't mean anything to him. We see uh, the treatment of one another and the Lord is equality. You only find equality with Jesus Christ. There is no proper equality outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. And if we don't see each other as equals before God, Right, in, uh, in either language, color, nationality, whatever else. Fame, fortune, status, doesn't matter. You could be a Fortune 500 individual, one of the richest people in the world. You are e just as equal to an absolute destitute uh, individual who lives in a cardboard box in the, in the street. You are no different than them. We need to see each other as equal. Treating each other as equal. To the glory of God. To, to the glory of Jesus Christ. As it says in the word of God. 
how the Lord has made all men of one blood. God has made all the nations of the world of one blood. We see today, it, well, it's always been, I should say it's always been, hatred, bigotry, discrimination of other people because of nationality, color, language, status, even sin, even sin. Are we not all sinners? Were we not all enemies of God? Were we not all deserving of hell on our way to hell? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what language you are. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. And then we see how sin, those outside of God, outside of Jesus Christ, can't see equality. They can't see how each of us are, are equal in the eyes of God. Sin separates. Sin sows division. Sin blinds the eyes. Sin is what brings in the schisms. Sin brings in division. Sin brings in dividing up of the lands and hatred of other groups. Sin sees a difference between Jew and Gentile saying that the one or the other cannot be saved because of whether they're Jew or Gentile. But in the word of God, we see Jew and Gentile are saved just as equally. Repent and believe in the Lord. And you're saved. As it's always been. For the Lord, he is the God of all the earth. And God uh, God uh, is not willing that any should perish. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Look at Revelation 7, 9 to 10. Where uh, people of all nations, all kindreds, of all people, of all tongues, are all around the world will be saved. To the people in the jungles, in the deserts, in the islands, in, in the continents. It, 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 of all colors, all languages of the world, people will be saved. We're the ones who say it's not possible. The sinful ones. The ones who blind themselves deliberately or ignorantly. Those who allow uh, the bias of sin to interpret to them who they think God will save. God saves those who are the religious. <laughs> God saves those who keep the commandments. God saves those who've done enough good. God can't save you because you're stuck in that sin. God's not going to save you because you struggle with that. God won't save you because you don't go to church enough. But the Lord, he, he looks past these things and he sees the heart. Do you know how absolutely evil the Assyrians were? Do, do a bit of a, a, of a study on the Assyrians. How unbelievably wicked and violent and malicious and gory and bloody these individuals were. They were the scourge upon the earth. Everyone who heard of them 
shook in their boots. There was not an empire on the planet during the time of the Assyrians that was petrified of the Assyrians. They were so, so cruel. I can't even begin to, to talk about the kind of things they did here, or YouTube would probably censor this video. The kind of things they did, there was a reason why Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't even want these people to, he didn't want there to be a chance that these people could repent because he wanted them to be destroyed because they were that bad. The worst people on the planet. These individuals, the Assyrians, put the Aztecs to shame. That's how bad the Assyrians were. The Aztecs would have run. The Assyrians got saved. Saul of Tarsus, the butcher of the Pharisees, got saved. Nebuchadnezzar got saved. We need to look at people the way the Lord looks at them. If the Lord can look past the sins and look to the heart, and convict them. If God can call all, if God can call the Assyrians, if God can call Nebuchadnezzar, if God can call Saul of Tarsus, if God can call you, God can call me. Well, let us not put barriers in the way. It doesn't matter who or what you are. God has made all nations of the earth of one blood. We see, to, we see nowadays there are certain groups of people who are deliberately working hard to bring back division, schism between people. You should be ashamed for being born a certain color. Is not God the one who brings life in the womb? Is not God the one who, who makes us who we are? That is literally saying that God is at fault, that God is the problem. God is the one who creates life. God is the one who sparks life. God is the one who makes all people of one blood. We all come from Adam and Eve. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Joy and peace. Joy and peace that ye might abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore wherewith I may glory through Jesus Christ in these things which pertain to God. Now look what he says here. What, is he, what does Paul glory in? What does Paul glory in? Look what he says here. I have therefore whereof I may glory. Hold up. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What does Paul say? Verse 16. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. I have therefore whereof I may glory. 
wait a minute. Is that a contradiction? Nope. Nope. Pay attention to the specific words. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.16. 1 Corinthians 9.16. For though I preach the gospel, I... This is first person regarding his personal being of what is his, of him. I have nothing to glory of. Nothing. Nothing of myself. Nothing of myself. Okay. Let's go back to Romans. Uh, 15 verse 17. I have, I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ. Now you notice when you pair these two passages together, 1 Corinthians 9.16 and Romans 15.17, when you pair these together, you see that Paul, as he's saying, there is nothing of my being, nothing of my abilities, nothing of me that I could ever glory in. However, the only glory that I could glory of is Jesus Christ. He is my glory. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Now you notice the language here, the specifics. That Jesus Christ is the only good that I have. He is my strength. He is my wisdom, my knowledge, my ability. He is my life, my light. He is my salvation, my redemption. He is my everything. I have no works. I have no righteous works. I have no law keeping. He is my atonement. He is my salvation. I have nothing I could earn favor with God. He is the favor of God that was bestowed upon me by grace. I have nothing to glory of except the, except Jesus Christ because I have Jesus Christ. Because I have Jesus Christ, I can only glory through Jesus Christ. I can't glory through myself. It's not of me. It's not of my societal standing. It's not of my strength, my abilities, my wisdom, my, my wealth, my power, my fame, my skin color, language, or, or nationality. I have nothing. Nothing of this world. Nothing of physical. There's nothing of me. Nothing of personal. It's only Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And he is sufficient for everyone and everything. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. What pertains to God? What things pertain to God? The kingdom of heaven. The salvation of the sinners. The edification of the saints. The preaching of righteousness. The, the, the refuting and judgment of sin. I, it's not by my wisdom, my abilities. It's of Jesus Christ. It's of him and his spirit. The spirit of Christ, which teaches me all things, which causes me to be in all, in all understanding of the word. He gives me the words with which to say. There are no Canadians and Americans and Mexicans and Germans and Ukrainians and Russians and Chinese or Mongolians or whatever else. That, that these are titles and differences created by people. When God looks at the earth, he doesn't see American, Canadian. He doesn't see, he doesn't see English or German. He doesn't see black or white. He doesn't see any of that. 
what he sees is souls that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And even your sin, even your sin, we see Assyrians that believed on Jesus Christ. We see Assyrians that did not be, uh, believe in the Lord. So, okay, Old Testament. Uh, uh, Assyrians that believed on the Lord of the Old Testament and Assyrians that did not believe in the Lord in the Old Testament. We see Egyptians that did believe on the Lord and Egyptians that did not. We see Jews that believed in Jews which did not. We see Gentiles which believed in Gentiles which, which did not. You see, you see what I'm getting at here. See what I'm getting at here. Verse 18, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. What he's getting at here is also for you to understand, I did nothing. It's not me. It's not my abilities. As Paul is saying, I, Paul, did not establish the churches. I, Paul, did not heal the sick. I, Paul, did not work the miracles. I, Paul, the, the, uh, the, it's not my wisdom, not my power. It's not of me. I did nothing. I do nothing. I have nothing. And I will not dare to speak of my abilities. Because I don't have any. Dying to self. Dying to self. That when, that when I, Paul, went out into the Gentiles, went to their kingdoms, went to their cities, went to their lands, and I, 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 I preached them to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, it wasn't me doing it. As Jesus said, he will teach us all things. His spirit causes us to be in remembrance of everything. He will give us the words with which to say. He'll even teach us how to pray. It's not us. It's not by words of men's wisdom. Verse 19. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now look what he says here. Through mighty signs and wonders, so that people would see. Paul didn't just go around just, just yelling philosophies and words and, and just reading the scriptures out loud. There is proof of the power. There's evidence. There's evidence in him that what he was saying. That when you pray, things happen. When you preach, the crowds will be drawn. How? Who draws the crowds? Who draws the people? Not us. George Whitfield, John Wesley. Powerful, powerful British preachers. Um, and uh, they would preach to crowds of tens of thousands. They would stand up in the fields on soapboxes and start belling out the word of God. And, and thousands and tens of thousands of people would come to hear him. George, uh, 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 George Mueller, Charles Spurgeon, these others, 
thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come to hear them. Who drew them? Not them. Not them. Mark 16, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. All, all around the known world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then scores and multitudes and multitudes of people were getting saved. Because they saw there was a peace and joy in the message. They saw that there is an equality, a peace, a power, a joy, a forgiveness, a hope. That in all of their religions, of their gods and their practices, there is no hope, no peace, no joy. When Jesus Christ would go throughout, the, uh, throughout all the land, he go from town to city to place to place, preaching, preaching the gospel, preaching the truth, People saw in the message of Jesus something different. That when the Pharisees would preach, compared to what Jesus would preach, there was a tangible difference. The words were different. That when the Pharisees would preach, it was heavy and dry. But when Jesus would preach, there's power. There is a hope. There is a light. And those that, that listened, their minds are opened. Those that believed were filled with a joy and a peace. Filled with a hope. The mighty signs and wonders are not always actual, like what we think, miracles. Like the opening the eyes of the blind. Mighty signs and wonders is also drawing crowds and opening the eyes and the minds of the ears. You see, we always have a tendency to equate miracle with turning water to wine, raising the dead, healing the sick. But what is a greater miracle than opening the eyes and the minds uh, of sinners and them getting saved? What's a greater miracle than a sinner becoming a saint? Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God moved. Just as in Genesis we see the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And he spoke, let the waters bring forth dry land, and it did. The Spirit of God moved upon the waters. The Spirit of God moves upon the land. He moves upon the crowds. He moves upon the ears. The Spirit of God moves, and the power of God is seen in that people believe. And that the Spirit of God sees no difference. No difference in you and me. No difference in anyone. No difference as we are all sinners, all have sinned, all are fallen away, all have become corrupt. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And God is rich in mercy to all people, all who call upon the Lord, he will save. Verse 20, yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. But the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive. Back up, context, in contentions and strifes. We don't strive to, in fightings and bickerings and arguments, but we strive in something else. The servant of the Lord must not strive in fleshly things and in, in, in arguments and, and that. 
rather we see we are to strive in something else, but rather we to strive for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. To fight for the gospel, the fight of faith. That we stand up and preach the truth regardless what's happening. Where uh, we see with the apostles, uh, they were commanded, we command you not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, we ought to be God rather than men. And they went and preached Jesus Christ. People would tell us, you can't gather for church. You can't evangelize. You, you can't preach the gospel. Like my good friend Adam in Tunisia was arrested for evangelizing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a born-again Christian, and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ was arrested for preaching the gospel, oppressed and, and, and afflicted for this because he was a born-again Christian. And what did he do as soon as he got, got back out? He continues to honor the Lord, and he will not stop. So we see the Lord works with all those who call upon him, all those who believe on him. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel. Not where Christ is named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. We see a respect for ministry and ministry. As uh, Paul doesn't go to where another Christian, another saint has established a work and a ministry to draw people away from that guy to himself. It, this is what he's referring to. Also mind, mindful of one another, of each other's work, to help and pray for, and not try to try to up one another. As we do see that there are individuals who, uh, in certain groups and denominations, it's almost like a game, a competition. Well, I saved more souls than you did. Yeah, well, I have a bigger ministry, bigger church. I do this. And we see it becoming a game of one-upmanship. No. It's of the same work, of the same name, of the same Lord, for the same purpose. I remove myself out of it. It's all to the glory of Jesus Christ. And, and it's not about names or some same of Paul, some same of Cephas. Are we not all one under Christ? It's not denominationalism. Again, that's schism. It's not denominationalism. Well, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a this. I'm a that. It's not about that. We're born again Christians in the Lord God, Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. We need to stop setting differences and schisms. Stop sowing discord. Stop sowing division. Stop seeing division. The rather we see saved or not saved. Christian or not Christian. Believer in the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace to faith to belief alone or not. That's what we see. And stop seeing opportunities to judge of sin on, on a personal level. Well, I'm not going to fellowship with those Christians because I don't like what they're doing. I don't agree with them. Rather than going to them and praying for them and edifying them and helping them and drawing them and convicting them in the church, in the, in the truth and the church and draw, drawing them back to proper fellowship with Christ. You see what I mean? See what I mean? Verse 19. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Lycrium I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ is nameless, I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, 
to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Isaiah 52.15 Isaiah 52.15 Do I have the right reference? Yes, yes I do. Okay, Isaiah 52, 15. So shall he uh, sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him for that they had not been told them. For that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Referring to the Gentiles, having neither heard nor seen these things. But as it is written to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see and they that have not heard shall understand regarding the peoples of the world that had not yet heard the truth of God, that their eyes will be opened and that they will see and hear the truth of the Lord. Verse 22, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you? Because of this cause, we see I've been hindered from coming to you. So we see personal desires. That Paul wants to go and fellowship with the saints. He wants to go and see these Christians in Jerusalem and, and, and these other places. He wants to go fellowship, but the ministry is more important. What do we see? Dying to self. The sa uh, sacrificing of self. The crucifying the flesh with the affections and lust thereof. So you see, what I want and what's more important. What's more important? That he's willing to set aside his own personal desires to the glory of Christ. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. Because there's much work to be done. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come to you, once ever I take my journey into Spain, I will come unto you. So you see, he finished the work first. He finished his calling first. He had that the Lord had a job for him to do, and he finished this. Now he can go and do what he desires. So what do we see in this? I am nothing. My desires are nothing in comparison to the Lord's. And we see that what the Lord desires and what I desire, the Lord comes first. Finish the work. Work first, then play. That's actually one of the oldest uh, sayings. And that's right here. Work first, then play. But now having no more place in these parts, as he's finished up uh, uh, the ministry, he's finished up his missionary journey in these areas, and having great desire these many years to come into you. So what do we see? Great desire. Love of the brethren. Love of the brethren. Once ever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister to the saints. And he wants to uh, finish up in, in these uh, Gentile areas. He's going back to Jerusalem. Going from the Gre uh, Greeks and the Gentiles to the Jews. Because he sees no difference. He sees no difference. That he can, e he can just as easily walk amongst the Gentiles as he can amongst the Jews. He sees no difference. You can just as easily walk amongst all the languages and colors and nationalities and everything else. Because he sees no difference. He can walk amongst sinners as well as saints because he sees no difference. We sometimes see a difference in that. We don't see ourselves as sinners. 
Now we are born again saved. We are saved from condemnation of our sin. We are saved sinners. We are sinners saved by grace. That there's that the only difference between us and the unsaved is Jesus Christ. That that He holds us, He saved us. But we're no different in character. And that the flesh, the sin of our flesh, we see in Romans 7, the sin of our flesh. That in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. For with the mind I serve the law of God, but the flesh I serve the law of sin. And this is not meant as an excuse, but but a, but acknowledgement of a reality. That I know who and what I am. I know what I'm capable of, and I know what I fight against. I fight against my flesh. But I got to be careful about, about setting myself up above the lost. That I should be able to walk amongst them to show them Jesus Christ, because... Well, fleshly, there's no difference. My spirit and soul is saved, my flesh is not. So you see, we ought not to see division where we would separate ourselves from them that we would have no, no business with them. We should go to them. We should talk to them. We should fellowship with them as Jesus Christ did with sinners. If Jesus Christ, God Almighty, if Jesus Christ, God Almighty, can sit with sinners, drunkards and harlots and the rest, and eat with them and drink with them, to show them the righteousness of God, then I can do that too. Jesus Christ didn't see a difference uh, between Jew and Samaritan. Jesus Christ didn't see a difference between Jew and Roman. He spoke to them equally. He, he preached to them equally the gospel. And he saved them just as easily as he did the Jews. Okay, verse 25. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Look what he says here. Where it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Greeks. Gentiles. Gentiles. To make a certain contribution. Financial contributions. To the saints. Which are at Jerusalem. Why? Because we see in Jerusalem. Great persecution. Great, great persecution upon the Christians in Jerusalem by the Pharisees and the unbelieving Jews. And that it's uh, making it hard for the Christians in Jerusalem to live because of the uh, uh, because of the persecution and oppression. So we see Gentile Christians are now financially supporting Jewish Christians. We're, we're before Jesus Christ. You would never have seen that. You would never, ever, 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 ever have seen that. The Gentile Christians are now supporting, even financially, the Jewish Christians. To help the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It pleased them, the Gentile Christians, verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things... The faith of God, 
that the, as we saw, salvation is of the Jews, that this salvation of the Jews is poured upon the Gentiles. The spiritual things have been made partakers of the spiritual things. Their duty, the Gentiles now are in, indebted by this. Their duty is also to minister unto them of carnal things. What is this? James chapter 2, verse 16. Let's go over to James chapter 2. Verse 16. And if and one of you and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Faith out works is dead. That's what, that, that's what that's referring to there. For if the Gentiles have been, been, been made partakers of the spiritual things, their duty also is to minister unto the carnal things. You see, the Gentiles could have said, oh, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you, uh, Christ, uh, Christians in Jerusalem. We'll pray for you, Jewish believers. We'll pray for you. That's okay. That's good. That's good. You should be doing that. But if you have in your ability of carnal things, of physical things, to help out, and you refuse, what is a profit? You don't actually love them. You don't actually care. You care more about yourself, and you care more about your own possessions than you do about their welfare. You see the poor beggar in the street. I'll, I'll pray for you. But you refuse to give them a couple bucks to get something to eat or to warm himself, give them that which is needful to the body, you refuse to help him physically. But what does that profit? Your faith is dead. You don't actually care. You don't actually love as Christ did. See, that's that's getting at. As you're a made partaker by uh, spiritual things, you're also indebted then to also fulfill and help in physical. That's what that's getting at. But we see here the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are now, they've gotten rid. The Gentile Christians no longer see that barrier. You're no longer a Jew. You're no longer a Gentile. You're no longer white or black or whatever. You're no longer English or French or German or Russian or whatever. You're, you're, you're no longer whatever the physical may, may show. You're, that, that, that doesn't mean anything. You're either Christian or not Christian. You're either in Christ or not in Christ. You're either of God or not. You're either a citizen of heaven or not. So you help one another as also we see if individuals are born again believers in Jesus Christ, not only in this, but you're also brothers and sisters. Now, I may not know you, from a hole in the ground. <laughs> I may not know you from Adam. You're a complete stranger to me. But if I discover that you're a born-again Christian, that you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're my brother and sister in Christ. I would help you as eagerly as I would help my own blood kin because we are blood kin in Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us blood relatives. We are blood brothers, blood sisters, blood brethren in Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm getting across here? Going from the Old Testament 
to the New Testament. God has made all the people of the earth of one blood. We should see each other as that. How then could we harm one another? How then could we hate one another, discriminate one another, be bigoted against one another in this? How could we push away one another, look down at one another? Oh, because well, I have more money than you. I have more fame than you. I have a higher class than you. I got a better car than you. Or I have a better job than you. Or I, I have a different language than you. Or whatever else. Go down the line. How could we possibly put, put divisions and, and, and the differences between us? The Gentiles are made partakers of the spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them of carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come uh, come by you into Spain. So we see also in this, you finish up the ministry, now edification. Before he even gets to go and do the thing that he that he really wants to do, per, uh, 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 impersonal, it's more important to edify and strengthen and encourage one another before even my own self. He's on his way to go to Jerusalem, but... He needs to make sure to, that the saints are edified before even himself. Setting others first. Setting others first. When I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of, of Christ. Look at this. Look what it says here. Verse 29. Romans 15. Verse 29. When I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. When I come to you, this could be a group of context. Paul's talking about the saints at Jerusalem. But also we could take the application to be for us. When I come to you, or you, or you, and you, or you come to me, and we come to one another, we come in the fullness of of the gospel of Christ. What is the fullness of the gospel of Christ? I would like you to, to consider this. Everything, everything that we've talked about thus far. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Who is Christ? Almighty God. What is the good news of God? What is the good news of God? What is the fullness? That, that's where uh, complete, stuffed, packed, full, overflowing. The fullness. The fullness of the gospel of Christ. What is the fullness of the good news of God? That is everything that is of the behavior, the character, the provision, the, the attitude, the demonstration, the physical, the spiritual, every asset, mind, heart, soul, body, strength, everything is consumed by that which is the character and the behavior and the fullness of the kingdom of God, of righteousness and love and mercy and grace. How God sees, how God bestows blessing. That when I come to you, I come to you in the fullness of this. Forgiveness, help, strength, edification, righteousness, instruction, teaching, blessing. 
When I come to you, I come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And Paul did that. From going to all the different people groups, all the different languages, all the different lands and languages of Gentile and Jew, he'd go to each and he'd show the fullness of the gospel of Christ unto each. So should we. So should we. And by this, let's turn this around just for a moment. What happens if you don't? What happens if you do not show the fullness of the, of the blessing of the gospel of Christ? What happens if you don't? And you put yourself out first, the flesh first. What happens? Right? Arrogance, division, unforgiveness, self-conceitedness, war, warring with one another, warring between groups, warring between people. We see spite, arrogance, and no longer helping, but rather destruction. Do you see that? Racism, hate, violence, evil speaking. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And again we see a striving is mentioned. Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-four. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-four. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. The servant of the Lord must not strive. The servant of the Lord must not strive. Verse 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Pay attention to the language. Pay attention to the specific words. Now back up in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of, the, out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive in strifes, contentions, fightings, be, uh, to set aside these things that he's mentioned. But rather, this is what we're supposed to seek. Be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient meekness, instructing. Look what he says here. That ye strive together with me in your prayers so we see rather instead of a striving in physical fighting physically we see fighting spiritually together not against one another not all alone but working together like an army wars for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
that's what he's getting at. Strive together, like how, how an army works together to wage war, but our warfare is not carnal, but is spiritual against darkness to proclaim the goodness of God, the praises of God. They strive together in prayer, working together, warring in prayer. How do you war in prayer? How do you war in prayer? As the Bible says, faint not in prayers, but, but, but praying always, praying without ceasing, constant. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, no matter what, what is happening to you, you keep on, you keep on, you, 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 uh, you faint not in prayer, you faint not in faith. Fear not, worry not, doubt not, fret not, be anxious for nothing. Stand fast, fight the good fight, keep the faith. Strive together in prayer. Look what it says here. Strive together in prayer to God. Keeping the faith, you see. Keeping the faith. With me, as Paul says. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe. That we may be delivered from those who do not believe. What's this referring to? Psalm chapter 2. The kings of the earth gather themselves together against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. Who are the anointed? You see certain people mentioning, touch not God's anointed. Who are the anointed? All believers. All born-again believers. Doesn't matter who or what you are. All born-again believers are the anointed of God. And the, and the people of the earth that hate God, that love not the Lord, that fear not the Lord, are against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed. That we pray constantly, working together, warring against sin and darkness, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, as the Bible says. We, we, that we be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For what purpose? That we could just live happy lives? For what purpose? So that the truth of Christ can be proclaimed. That the church would continue to flourish. That the sinners would continue to uh, hear the truth and get saved. That the saints would be edified and strengthened. And that God would be glorified. It's not about physical well-being. Rather about the well-being of God upon the earth. The well-being of God upon the earth. That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. And also that the, that the truth of God be continued. And also, what do we see? And, and uh, the service in Jerusalem would be accepted of the saints. We, we see doors would be opened. And that doors would be opened. Churches would be, would be flourishing. The saints would be edified. God would be glorified. This is why we strive in prayer together. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy. Let me see. See, we backed up. We see, uh, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Full of joy. Full of peace. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. The work of the Lord should be joyous. You should enjoy it. It should be something you look forward to. Now, now, when you go to serve the Lord, whether handing out tracts, witnessing, helping the saints, helping in the church, or whatever you're doing, that it shouldn't be seen as laborious. 
right? Just laboring away, slogging away, just keep at it. You just got to keep turning the wheel. Just keep at a long face. You're tired. I don't want to do it anymore. It shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be something that, that's dreary. If it's getting like that, then you got a problem. And this is where you need to get yourself established with the Lord. But there's also an openness with the saints that you be eager to, to bring up issues, problems, things that are getting you down. You bring it up to the saints that they would pray for you. Just as Paul is saying, you pray for me that I could do this and that and so that I'm able to come to them in joy. Because Paul had a lot going against him that would have him be quite downcast and depressed. Uh, how would you feel if, say, you got shipwrecked and drowned and then the Lord brought you back? And then you got stoned to death and the Lord brought you back. And you got beaten to death and the Lord brought you back. And you got thrown to wild beasts in a coliseum and then the Lord brought you back. And, and uh, many other beatings and whippings and scourgings and starvings, other things that he suffered. How would you feel? If anybody deserved to be depressed, it was Paul. If anybody deserved to be cast down and heavy, it was Paul. But look what he says here. Pray that I can continue in joy. Pray that the joy of the Spirit of Christ would be upon me. Pray, and that also should be us, asking one another, pray for me. That I continue in joy. Pray for this individual that they can continue in joy and peace. And if there are things that are weighing you down, uh, issues, problems, bring it up. Then you don't have to name the problems. Even just tell people, could you please pray for me that I could be full of joy and peace? That I can continue in the work of the Lord in joy and peace. That it may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now, when we come to the saints, it's refreshing. You know, this is something that uh, my dad has always brought up. Whenever you don't feel like going to church, that's when you should go to church. Because what happens? What happens nearly every single time you're on your way to church you're miserable and you're tired and you, you know, i don't want to go i'm not feeling well i don't want to go i don't want to be there i don't want to go and the moment you get there the singing the message everything and you feel better i'm glad i came every time every time it's refreshing it's refreshing it refreshes the soul. It refreshes the mind. It subdues the flesh. It builds the spirit. You feel better. That is what that's referring to. The refreshment of the saints. The refreshment of worship. The refreshment of the gathering together. They'll be full of joy and refreshed. What is refreshing than the joy of the saints? and the righteousness of Christ, and the edification of, of the church, of the saints, of the kingdom of God, then 
joining together, coming together in Christ to worship Christ, what is more joyous, what is more full of peace, what is more refreshing than that? To get out of the world, ignore the world, subdue the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof, Stop seeing, uh, stop seeing differences and schisms. Stop playing that game. Come together in Christ, in the joy of the Spirit, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join, uh, join hand in hand with the Word of God. And watch the refreshment of the Spirit of God fall upon you. That's what Paul's getting at here. Whether Jew or Gentile. Whether male or female. Whether bond or free, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Come together as such and watch the Spirit of God work. Verse 33. Now the God of peace, thou and thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 15. So, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights on that study, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear from you. So, that wraps up chapter 15. We got one more chapter and we're done the book of Romans. So, I, I hope that this study has been uh, a help and a comfort and a strength and encouragement to you. Um, if you appreciate these studies, please give us a like as a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons so you know when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos as we've got tons and tons of other goodies and content as well as check out our website christiancoffeetime.ca as we've got uh, links to all our other platforms and other goodies going on there and make sure you avail yourself to that and you can also contact us through our website so if you're looking for resources or something or you've got questions or anything or you just want to shoot us a word of encouragement, please, and we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us through our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. Alrighty, so with that, um, I think that pretty much wraps up everything that's on the docket for today. Um, yes, I guess we'll just wrap it up there then. So again, folks, thank you so much for joining in. Uh, this is uh, a, a great study as we see as we're going through Romans and chapter 15 here about the edification of the saints, about the uh, the gospel of Christ and how it affects us. Not only does it save our soul, but it can save our conscience. It can save our minds when we pay attention to it. It can help us in issues of flesh, of issues of, of carnality. It can guide us through this world and all these things. And there's an answer to everything in the word of God. We see all the different things going on in the world. Now, how should we respond to this? We see it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, study. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to absolutely every single thing in this world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to absolutely every single thing going on in this world. Don't forget that. So with that, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining in. God bless you, folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. So I hope there's been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. And as always, 
If I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. Thank you.